Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Amazing Mets Podcast. Today we have a special episode in which we will be previewing the whole NL East going into the 2019 season. We will also have the FanCast hosts as well as the Marlins Catch hosts on to speak on their respective teams. Everybody, welcome to the Amazing Mets podcast. We've got a, as Jake said in the intro, we have a very special episode for tonight. We are going to be looking at every team in the NL East, not only the Mets, but we will be looking at our competition. It's going to be a tough, tough race this year in the NL East. You have many teams looking to compete for the World Series, not just one like in some other divisions, but in this division, you've got four. You've got um, the Mets, the Nationals, the Phillies, and the Braves. Each team is pretty diverse in their um, um, in their talents and capabilities, and they're, uh, um, they're quite diverse. Um, so we're going to talk about each and break each down tonight. Um, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about our rivals and give you guys a good reason why the Mets will be winning the division. All right. Um, so honestly, I think that the for the Mets at least it it is I have this feeling like of uncertainty coming into this year. Um, I feel like it's going to be uphill battle for the Mets. Um, they have um, really done a good job with the roster, I think, during the off season. But I just think there are, you know, there's still a few questions on the roster that can leave us vulnerable in the um, in our um, against our competition. Sometimes the Braves, the Nationals, and Phillies are going to be pretty decent teams this year. Um, so it, it gives you reason to be concerned, but at the same time. Um, I'm glad the Mets, you know, uh, Brody Van Wagenen has put his best foot forward going into this season, um, really trying to upgrade at every position and upgrade the depth so that the Mets are able to um, leg out the season, even into the the long August uh, days where you're going to need a few fresh bodies um, to come in and uh, perform. Yeah, and I think this off season. I mean, we've we've said it multiple times that this off season, whether or not we got the big stars like everyone really wanted, it was productive in a lot of ways. Um, it like 
Brody was talking about earlier in the offseason, or actually about a month ago, he was talking about how this offseason was meant to spread out the money more rather than spend all the money on one guy. So I think they definitely effectively did that. And, I mean, it, we, we're we putting a good team out there. It just There's a lot of moving parts to the team that we put together. And, you know, each part of the team, I mean, there are some very um, positive um, things to, uh, you know, see on each part of the team. Um, the rotation is the best thing I think um, we've got going for us this year, uh, as it has been the past couple seasons. You have the reigning uh, Cy Young Award winner, uh, Jacob deGrom, coming back. Um, hopefully he will be uh, – uh, he will be uh, inked to a long-term contract by uh, opening day. I hope that – I think that's the best uh, – um, for everybody in this uh, situation, you got Noah Syndergaard, who we all know what Noah Syndergaard can be. Uh, we just hope that he can be healthy this year and fully perform to that uh, potential level. Um, because in the last couple seasons, I feel like even though he's pitched very well, he hasn't um, hit that peak Noah Syndergaard yet that we're all we've all been waiting for. You've got Zach Wheeler, who. Um, came out of nowhere, um, and after a, a, he struggled in the first half, he pitched um, almost as well as uh, DeGrom did all season, um, maybe even better in that second half. Um, he had a, I believe his record was 10-1 and one in the, um, the uh, second half, too, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he was just fantastic and lights out going in, and I expect uh, a lot of the same going into next year. Um, and then you've got Steven Matz, who, um, you know, he had a very decent rookie season. He pitched in the playoffs. He pitched decent in the playoffs. Came back. He didn't pitch as well his second season, but it wasn't, like, horrendous. Then he had an injury-plagued season in, um, you know, in um, – uh, 2017, he didn't pitch well. And then last year, he had a very inconsistent year where he had a four ERA um, and in 154 innings. Uh, so that's his last two campaigns have been quite concerning going for, you know, his brand. But um, he still does have uh, a lot of potential, and he's a very effective lefty uh, starting pitcher who I, you know, he's someone you can count on in sort of a way in most situations. Um, and hopefully he can take that step out forward uh, this year. And then you have Jason Vargas. We all know how much I love him. Uh, <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. So um, that's Jason Vargas. And, you know, he's a veteran. He pitched well in the second half last year. Um, you know, I don't, know what to expect out of him this year. Uh, I think if we get the bare minimum from him, which is not as horrendous as how he pitched last year, but bare minimum, as I'm saying, 450 ERA um, or 4 ERA, something like that, I think we take it. I mean, honestly, from him in this, at this stage of his career, can he pitch better? Of course. But um, that's the rotation outlook 
in my uh, opinion, I think it's very strong in the top. And then uh, the last two guys um, have a lot to prove going into next year. Um, and, you know, I hope that the uh, starting pitching depth options that we have, like Kyle Gowdy, like um, Corey Oswalt, um, Hector uh, Santiago, um, are ready to step up if necessary. Yeah, and I have to agree that the rotation is probably going to be our strongest point this season as as long as everyone stays healthy, which I feel like is a precursor to every single every single thing on the Mets is that as long as we stay healthy, we're we're a pretty dominant team and a very competitive team. Um, just to move on, let's start to talk about the bullpen. So I'll I'll sort of go in order um, as John did with the rotation. So obviously we acquired our our new closer Edwin Diaz and a deal that was sort of controversial in the sense that we let go of a lot of our young guys um, that were definitely promising and were a part of the future of the team. And we, we got an older veteran who, in my opinion, is Hall of Fame bound if he continues to do what he's been doing his whole entire career. And we also got Edwin Diaz, who in, in himself, he's probably – going to be a big part of the future of this team as long as he stays a Met. I, I think he's a big part of um, what we're going to be doing the next couple of years. And then down from here, uh, we have J.B. Shamilio, who obviously we all know. Uh, I can't say we all love, but I think this was a good move, and I'm happy that he's back uh, on the Mets. And he obviously was a little bit cheaper for us because he wanted to play on the Mets so badly. So you can't go wrong if getting a, a very qualified setup man for – a cheaper price tag. Uh, below him, I would go with Seth Lugo. Obviously, a guy that is very good but was overworked last season, um, along with Familia. So, I think having a longer bullpen, which it seems like the Mets have created, and more arms in the bullpen, uh, I, I'm very excited to see what Lugo can do in a year where he's not stress uh, stressing his arm and he's being treated like a professional player should. Uh, below him goes Justin Wilson, which is obviously one of our lefty guys, and um, we we signed him recently, and Luis Avalon, another lefty guy, that uh, two guys that will be much more efficient than what Jerry Blevins did for us the two years that we signed him to in that new contract um, a, a few seasons ago. And then below him, of course, Robert Gesellman, who along with Corey Oswell and along with Hector Santiago and a few other guys and Kyle Dowdy, I mean, um, should definitely be in the running for that fifth spot. I think he would fit there very well, um, especially in a more established bullpen. And then, of course, we have a bunch of guys that are obviously smaller names that if you weren't a Mets fan at the end of last season, you would have no idea who they were. So you have guys like Tyler Batchelor, Drew Smith, Daniel Zamora, Tim Peterson, Paul Seawald and Jacob Ram, a bunch of guys that um, have starting pitching potential, have the potential to be very good setup men and to even be closers, in my opinion. So I think having all those young guys who experience the major league level in a smaller sample and now they haven't had an off season to think about it, I think having those guys is going to be the key to what um, – makes guys like Diaz, Familia, Lugo, Wilson much better because of how uh, the biggest issue last year was stretching our guys too thin, and I think these guys are the key to helping us not stretch them so thin. 
All right. Well, so um, I'm going to cover the infield quickly. We have like three minutes, it seems, um, to do this. So this will be quick. And then you can cover the outfield real quick. Okay, so um, catcher, we upgraded with Wilson Ramos. Signed him on a, a two-year contract. Um, I think it's $18 million. Um, and Wilson Ramos is an offensive um, juggernaut when it comes to catchers. And he might as well be a, a, our uh, cleanup hitter next year. A very good offensive catcher. He can throw very well. Um, questions will be uh, how much time he will be able to play because of injuries and stuff and um, his uh, ability to block balls as well because of his injuries. You got Travis Darnold and uh, Devin Mazzarocco who will battle it out for backup catcher. Um, I have a feeling that Devin Mazzarocco will be the um, backup catcher. That's just my own opinion. And I think we're going to cut Travis Darnold. Um, I've never been a huge fan of Darnold and I don't think he can play catcher anymore, especially after last year's injury. I don't think it'll be a good mix. Um, we have uh, first base. Peter Alonso will be um, waiting on deck, but uh, I think they'll go with Todd Frazier at first just so they could get that one year out of uh, Alonso. I think it's such a stupid rule that they do that, but, you know, they do it nonetheless. Um, and I think you'll expect uh, regular Todd Frazier numbers, 230 batting average, uh, uh, maybe about uh, – uh, double-digit home runs next year, but I think he'll be off the bench a lot of the season, but he'll be a nice uh, bench bat to have. Um, Robinson Cano's a nice guy to have. I, I feel like he's going to have a, a very good season. Um, Ahmed Rosario uh, is always, uh, I think he's going to continue to trend into a better, uh, um, you know, into uh, as, as becoming a better hitter. Our defense is there. Uh, Hetch is a great uh, Hetcheveria is a great uh, uh, backup to him, and then you've got uh, Jed Lowry at third base, uh, who hopefully is okay after uh, he suffered an injury. But uh, um, you know he's a, a very good hitter, and he proved that the last two seasons. Um, and then I'll let you get to the outfield quickly. Yeah. So before we get to break, quickly I'll just run over uh, the outfield. So our left field is going to be occupied by Jeff McNeil who obviously is a big question mark uh, because this is probably some of the first professional games that he'll be playing out there. Center field is, is going to be behind Nimmo, Ligaris, and Broxton. Nimmo is definitely going to be starting, but on uh, several occasions I can see Ligaris and Broxton being worked in. And then obviously right field is going to be where Conforto is taking a lot of reps. Now this, quickly before we go to the ad, this is definitely – not a set-in-stone outfield. This is going to be our opening day outfield, and there's a lot of moving parts saying in the sense that um, we have Cespedes coming back, potentially. We have a really good hitter, potentially, in Lagares, and we have a really good defensive outfielder in Broxton. So there's a lot of moving parts to this. All right, so we're going to go to the break, and when we come back, we're going to have the Phillies guys on on. Hello, everybody. This is Blake here with the Rattle Up Podcast, a podcast all about the Arizona Diamondbacks. This week, we will preview the National League West Division and go over each team, how their offseason has gone, including trades and trades and signings, and predict who will be the MVP, Cy Young, Silver Slugger, Rookie of the Year, Delivery Man of the Year, and Comeback Player of the Year for each team, including the Giants, Padres, Dodgers, Rockies, and D-backs. We will also predict... The MLB Awards, 
playoff picture, and World Series eventual champion. All that and much more on the 90-Minute NLS Preview Show, this Friday, 10 Eastern Time, 8 Mountain Time. That's 10 Eastern Time, 8 Mountain Time. See you there. All right. All right. Welcome back. Um, All right. So um, we have uh, Isaac here. Um, Thank you for joining us, Isaac. Uh, Glad to have you. What's up, John? What's up, Jake? How you doing? Hey, how's it going? Uh, Glad you joined. So, So, uh, Isaac, let's start off off with talking. Let's try and get as much in as possible. Uh, Let's start off with talking about your rotation, which obviously – there, there's a few guys in the running towards the end of it, but it's sort of a solid top three, I would say, between – tell me if you agree with me uh, – between Nola being one, Arietta being two, and Pavetta being three. And then it seems like that four and five spot is going to be uh, sort of dictated through spring training. You see, the weird part is I think you're right with the first two, Nola and Arietta being one and two. But Pavetta, you're right. He will definitely have a spot. It, it's odd. He'll definitely have a spot, but I think it'll probably be four or five. And I think the other guys are fighting for somewhere in the rotation, and they'll battle it out in spring training. Um, because of Pavetta's upside he'll def- and his breakout potential, he'll definitely be in rotation, I believe. But I believe fit Vince Velasquez could be the odd man out. All right. Um... Yeah, uh, Pavetta could be the odd man out. Um, he was inconsistent last season. I mean, he could take a step forward, but um, uh, next year. But uh, and he's still a young arm. But uh, though his first couple seasons in the majors have been a little bit iffy. Uh, when it comes to uh, what do you think is going to be uh, Eikhoff's uh, uh, role on the team? Do you think he'll be in the rotation? Do you think he'll be utilized in the bullpen? I know that he's. Uh, done both in the past. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that? Um, Eichhoff had actually a kind of an odd problem. He had a problem with the nerves in his hand, which took a while for doctors to identify. So I'd say he'll probably be starter, whether it's the minor or major league level. That's where he had some success in the majors. So if he doesn't make the major league roster as a starter, then he'll start out in the minors. As a starter. Yeah. Okay, and uh, so there's another big question. Obviously, the Phillies are in the running for Bryce Harper, um, and and there's been several different reports saying that he's unsure he wants to be there or the Phillies are um, very conscious of themselves, not overbidding, and there's obviously a little bit of controversy between why he's not, why he hasn't signed yet. So uh, just taking it just to the Phillies level, it seems like a really successful right fielder, Nick Williams, will be losing his spot. And Roman Quinn will also be kicked back a little bit by the addition of Bryce Harper. So do you think that it really is going to be a, a huge deal whether or not you guys get them? Or, or what, what's your what's your opinion on this? Well, I think it'll I mean, for sure it'll be a huge thing for the fans. And honestly, I think it would be kind of an emotional, uh, kind of like kind of dead in the Phillies camp because I mean they all they all expected, as they said, for them to get one of the two players. And there's this vibe there 
all the reporters segments of vibe there right now. They're kind of like they are excited and energetic, but they're still waiting. I feel like they're still waiting for someone to show up. And actually, there's a report that came out today. It, of course, it didn't get national attention, but the there's a source close to Bryce Harper that said he doesn't have any ill feelings towards Philadelphia. So I mean, I've, I've obviously heard them say that, but in the past he's had compliments about Philadelphia, and I, I honestly I think those uh, comments might be spewing Forrest's camp a bit. Um, and you know it, it's interesting because. Uh... You know, even if you get Harper, let's say you get Harper, um, there's still an opening in the outfield uh, uh, because uh, Odubel Herrera did not have a very good season last year. I'm sure he was decent, and but he's always been a uh, issue in center field defensively, and he took a step back last year offensively as well. Um, so it could be open season for center field even if you uh, pick up uh, – uh, Bryce Harper, unless they would put Bryce Harper in center field, but he he doesn't um he's not the best defensive option um at, in center field that you guys would have um so maybe he'd slot in right field. I'm sure that all depends on the um uh, spring training and uh, that uh, fight for that third outfield spot. I don't think it's going to be much of a fight to be honest. It, it'll definitely be. Uh... Definitely be Odubel in center and Harper in right. We've placed a lot of faith on Odubel, even though personally I am anti-Herrera. Uh, there, are a lot, there are a lot of Phillies fans who love Odubel, but I, I do not. Um, there's no doubt about it. He's going to be our starting center fielder. Harper will play right and McCutcheon will play left. That, if, if we do acquire Harper, that's what the starting outfit will be. All right, so to move on to the bullpen it seems like the Phillies have obviously they've they've acquired a lot of guys. They have a lot of their own homegrown guys, and it seems like it's very very crowded. At least much more than a few other teams. So, what do you think the what do you think your top five, top six bullpen guys are going to be this year, um, without even spring training starting yet? I personally. I think it's crowded, but that's a good thing for the Phillies because when you look at it, some of the bottom-level guys in the bullpen are pretty darn good. So you obviously have – I believe that they'll probably go with a seven-man bullpen. It'll be Robertson, Dominguez, Neshek, Hunter, Arano, Ramos, and then Jose Alvarez. So that's mm-hmm. one that's- – that's one lefty. They only carried one lefty for a majority of last year. They could bring up James Pazos or Adam Morgan as left specialists as well. But personally, I, I am super confident in their bullpen going into this year. I, I think we have the best bullpen in the division, even though we don't have the flashiest names. If you look at the stats, all the, guy, all the guys, K-9 and ERA, are very, very low. Um, Jose Alvarez, who we fleeced from the Angels last year, um, I this year during the offseason, I think he's a huge addition. We haven't had a good lefty uh, reliever like that in quite a while. So yeah, those would be, those are the seven I think will make it. All right. Um, first off, I want to disagree with you there on that uh, bullpen. Uh, 
uh, being the best in the NL East. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's it's very uh, it's got a lot of depth to it. I'll give you that. And um, you're right, there aren't a lot of flashy players, but there are um, guys that are consistently, you know, um, good. Get out, but you know, um, I don't know. I just feel like first off, um, Robertson. This could all change because the, the Phillies still haven't spent that uh, stupid money. We're waiting on that. Uh, we, we could see maybe a Craig Kimbrell coming to the Phillies. That would be uh, that, that would make uh, a better um, case for you, I, I think. But um, as long as David Robertson um, and uh, Dominguez, I'm not sure which one would be the closer at this point. Um, you know, uh, they're they're both very very good relievers. Um, I don't. Think, I don't think they uh, hit that uh, one-two punch that the uh, Mets have in uh, Diaz and uh, um, Familia, but they're very good. And then the rest of the bullpen's very good. There's a lot of depth to it. But I think the Mets, um, what, what's great about the Mets bullpen um, is that they have a lot of uh, um, moving parts. I put it that way. Um, yes, they moving parts in that bullpen. You've got Seth Lugo, who can uh, pitch many different roles, whether it be setup or um, long relief. You have uh, Robert Giselman who can um, pitch and set up or wrong, long relief and pitch effectively, uh, both of them. Uh, we have uh, Justin Wilson, who's a power lefty. Um, and, you know, I mentioned uh, Familian uh, Diaz, of course. And then there's a bunch of other guys like um, uh, th- that will be uh, like uh, Louis Avilon, who's uh, uh, very good uh, against lefties as well, uh, the former Philly. Um, so just have to disagree with you there quickly. Um, third we'll base, see, we'll see. Yeah, third base, third base is a, a question mark a, a bit. I mean, Franco has, um, you know, he he's been very good. Um, you have Scott Kingry there, the young um, young uh, prospect, uh, not a prospect anymore, but he was a young prospect, and you know, he, he came up and uh, played a lot last season. Um, do you trust um, Michael Franco at uh, third base? Or do you think it was a um, a bad decision not to get an upgrade uh, at third base, whether it be um, either a smaller uh, addition like uh, Moustakis or uh, um, maybe even a Marwin Gonzalez type? Um, I don't at all. I'm a big believer in Franco. He had a great uh, second half of the season last year. His stats actually dipped a little bit after um, he had went, he went on a great six week surge after the All Star break. Then he got injured, um, so and then he didn't get regular reps because of Kapler's decisions. So I believe the Franco will have a breakout year this year. I am not saying like All Star level, but I believe he'll be around two eighty, you know, twenty five to twenty eight home runs, um, good, uh, uh, relatively high on base percentage. So. Yeah, I think it was definitely the move I was hoping for um, in keeping Franco at third base. And there actually is a competition going on between Kingery and Franco, but Franco will most likely have the edge. Yeah, and then uh, lastly, before we wrap this up and go to break, so what do you think the biggest X factor for this Phillies team to be successful is? Will be, the th- we need a third solid pitcher. We obviously have Aaron Nola. We have um, Jake Arrieta, who are both. I mean, Noah is not solid. He's obviously an ace. Um, but it's Nick Pavetta or Zach Eflin. 
or even Vince Velasquez or uh, Jared Eikhoff could really step up and become that, you know, under three ERA um, guy, then I, I think our team could be a total threat, especially with Harper, because our lineup is a strength. I believe our bullpen is a strength. We have tons of depth in the bullpen. Um, so, you know, if we can get a third really solid starter, especially um, when you're talking about playoff time, if we truly click, um, that's what really that, that's what becomes most important is going three starters deep. Yeah, um, I, I just want to say uh, thank coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, before we go, I have a bold prediction. Bryce Harper will be a San Francisco Giant next year. <laughs> uh, thank yeah, you sure so much for that. coming on. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, have good a good luck. one. Can't wait to see and now we will go to. Thank you. Uh, we will go to uh, our commercial break. See you in a bit. Hey, guys. This is Benson from Bunker Booth, also producer here on the show. Just want to make sure you tune in. This Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern, we have a very special episode lined up for you. We're going to be breaking down, getting you guys ready for the Pirates-Phillies matchup later in the day, first spring training game. We're also going to be discussing the bench options for the Pirates in 2019 as well as taking a look back at the last five opening day starters, as Clint Hurdle just recently announced that Jameson Tyler will take them out on opening day and Chris Archer for their home opener. And to wrap it up, we're going to be looking at the top 100 prospect rankings and see where guys like Hugh Brian Hayes and Mitch Keller land. All this and much more on this week's episode of Bucko Booth at 8 a.m. Eastern. Make sure you tune in. You do not want to miss it. And uh, enjoy the rest of this episode, and we will see you Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern. All right, and we're back. Um, now we will be joined by um, our uh, the Marlins uh, uh, podcast. Uh, uh, they have uh, we have uh, Nick and Barry on um, from the. Uh, I'm glad you guys could join us. What's going on, guys? Glad to be here. Glad, glad to be here. I'm waiting to talk to my buddy Jake over there. We get, we got some hashing out to do. <laughs> that Barry? <laughs> yes, that is Barry. Don, that is Don Barry. Yeah. All uh, Barry, uh, I heard a little bit about you, buddy. Uh, um, <laughs> if you want to, if you wait, 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 wait. If you're going to be uh, hashing anything out, uh, it might not be Jake this time. It might be me because well, I heard what you said. On the National Guard? <laughs> I heard what you said. It's kind of ludicrous. Uh, um, the, the Marlins being better than the Mets next year. I mean, it. Your your um team, your team. I mean, it's just not good enough to uh, uh, be the Mets uh, next year. Just to be yeah, honest. Wait a second. Hold on for a second. We're playing the Mets. Right, That's our arch arrival. It's ingrained when you are a Marlin. You play the Mets. You beat the Mets. And you do it at all costs. And I stand by my prediction. Totally stand the, uh, by Marlins my prediction. Beat the Mets, uh, the Marlins beat the Mets in 2015. Pardon me? No. Well, I remember um, uh, a couple games where we uh, really beat you guys handily. But, you know, other than that, let, let's get on to some questions about your uh, team. Yeah, let's get on. Um, I'll go first. I'll go first here. Um so, you know, this is going to be a tough uh, question. I'm going to be a little critical because, look, this is the way I 
see the the decisions that have been made to make uh, trades of MLB MVP caliber players in Giancarlo Stanton, which I understand that trade a little bit more was more of a salary dump. You got a, a couple pieces back in that, which were nice. But the what boggled my mind was the trade of uh, uh, Yelich. Um, I mean, he, the the return for um, Yelich was um, not even close to what it should have been uh, for him. And even for Ozuna, which was closer than the uh, Yelich deal, I just don't feel like you're getting the bang for your buck with these players um, so far. I mean, um, are these prospects that you guys have accumulated thus far in this rebuild, are they the core pieces to this um, uh, contention in um, to this uh, um, ev- eventual contention in a, a couple seasons? Yeah, that's the way we look at it. Yeah, that's the uh, way. Hey, look, Jeter. Jeter's already grown impatient. He wants to start spending money soon, and uh, you know the uh, the other deals coming coming up soon. Uh, You know there'll be more money to go around. So watch these core players grow over this season. They will outperform expectations, and come 2020. There will be some new additions on there, such as quality free agents that can mess with these guys. And by 2021, look out, we're going to be a contender. No ifs, ands, or buts okay. about it. Well, Barry, just to stop you on that one, though, um, asking about the pieces we got back, of course, for Brinson and Ozuna. Of course, Stanton was a salary dump. Of course, we just got Stalin Castro back and Jorge Guzman. But, of course, the Lewis Brinson trade, you know, you can't rule these guys out yet. Of course, we got Lewis Brinson out of that trade, which is kind of the big piece here. Of course, he had a down year last year, but he's definitely a future plan, as well as Monte Harrison, Hassan Diaz, and Jordan Yamamoto. Of course, Yelich, Yelich did say he did not want to be in Miami. He actually requested a trade. He said he was not happy here anymore. He did not wasn't interested in rebuilding. He wanted to win a ring now. And being on the Brewers, he has more of a likely shot. For Ozuna... Of course, getting Sandy Alcantara was a big piece as well. And, you know, of course, we didn't get as much as we should have gotten for them, but we definitely got pieces back that will build a fran- that could build our potential franchise in the future and that these guys are the future plan for the fish. And I don't necessarily hate the move Jeter did, but I just I think we got some quality pieces out of it. Now, uh, Nick, uh, I'm just going to ask a question. I know I'm cutting uh, Jake from his question, but you know this. I find this so intriguing. Uh, do you agree with uh, Barry that uh, uh, the Marlins are going to uh, be better than the Mets next year? Absolutely not. Uh, All right. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. I think the Mets are actually right now in a stage where they're building their roster up now. Of course, with Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, adding them on the roster. Of course, getting Jed Lowry. And, of course, seeing that rotation with Jacob DeGrom as well, I think the Mets have a chance to actually make the wild card this season. Unfortunately, I do not like the Mets. Of course, they're a division rival. I'm not going to cheer them on any sorts here. But when I'm looking at the roster, you got Ligares, Nemo, and Conforto in that outfield. looks very strong. And then you got a guy like Ahmed Rosario, who's the future shortstop and an up-and-comer to this game. I think that the Mets have a nice team. I don't. I, it kills me to say that, but... It kills me to say that about the Braves, the Mets, and the Nationals. But, no, I think the Mullins, unfortunately, will be in dead last this season because they are the only team in the NL East that is actually rebuilding at the current moment. 
And, no, I just I think the Mets will be in the top three and wait racing for that wild card spot. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you being a realist. Um, but <laughs> I also just wanted to point out Jorge Guzman. Uh, I've seen him live, actually, and I thought – I personally thought he's probably one of the best prospects that you guys got out of the whole deal um, from stealing all those guys, probably him or Brinson. Um, but uh, I just I just like to say, like, or I'd like to ask, actually, what do you guys – who do you guys see being Marlins MVP next year? And, and I feel like it's easy to say Brian Anderson. But, I, I mean, mm-hmm. again, he, he's only had one really good season, so – I don't really – I don't know. I'm sort of confused on who's going to be your top guy, whether it's Brian Anderson or Curtis Granderson. So what what, do you, what are your guys' opinion on that? Well, Brian Anderson, of course, was a rookie last year. Uh, first year he played very nicely. Uh, he did play a little bit, actually, in 2017, but that was toward the end of the year. That was a September call-up. Anderson played very well. He was actually third or fourth in the Rookie of the Year race in the whole MLB. But I'm actually going to shock you here. I'm going to go with the Marlins MVP. It's going to be Lewis Brinson. I know Barry on the other line is like saying, what are you talking about, Nick? Well, and I was saying that when you were talking about the Mets going uh, behind the Marlins here. But these are our opinions here. And I think Lewis Brinson is going to have a breakout season next year. He's been working on that all, all off season. Uh, I've been, you know, of course, watching tapes of him playing well on his Instagram, of course. And I just think Lewis Brinson has what it takes to be our centerpiece on this roster to replace Christian Yelich nicely, like when he was here, of course, because now Yelich just took off. But I think Brinson is going to win the MVP next year for us. If not, it would either be, like you said, Curtis Granderson, Brian Anderson, or, of course, Stalin Castro. But I think that this is definitely more of a progression year for us and that we need to find the right pieces for the franchise moving forward. Well, if I may counter you there, Nick, I just got to tell you, I disagree with you on Brinson, and you you alluded to it already. Uh, I don't see a guy – well, let's put it this way. He's uh, Mr. Hustle defensively. There's no doubt. He's one of the better outfielders out there. Offensively, he had trouble getting across the Mendoza line last year, and uh, that ain't going to change in one season. So I, I definitely cannot see Lewis Brinson as the MVP here. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I love Brian Anderson. He's a, He's got that look on his face. When he's playing ball, uh, get out of his way. He, he's, he's, there, he's there for a purpose, and he's going to get it done by hook or crook. That's just the way it is. I look for him as the MVP. I look for the runner-up on the team to be Starlin Castro, provided Castro is not traded away during the season. Uh, I also look at Curtis Granderson. Granderson's there for uh, for one real reason, or actually two real reasons. One, to help the the club with their rookies, you know, give them guidance. But he's also playing for a big payday in the future. He could be trade bait down the line. He gets hot all of a sudden. He could be that trade bait that goes to another team that lands us another crop of incredible, uh, you know, uh, uh, people or uh, players that could come up and have tremendous effect on the Marlins franchise altogether. So that's my that's my right? route on this. He's thirty seven years old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is thirty seven. Um, 
I, I, you do bring up a, a point that I wanted to bring up first. Just want to uh, bring up a quick point about Brinson. And now I'm not saying here that he's going to have a uh, be the MVP of the Marlins. I'm not saying that, but I am going to um, defend rookies here because look, there are most or many rookies who come up their first season. They play a full season, even. You know, they have growing pains, and especially on a rebuilding team, um, you know, you go down the line into August. It's a tough stretch for um, a young player, and not every and every prospect turning into an MLB player makes that uh, jump right away. Um, for example, I'll, I'll use two guys for examples. These are pitchers, but I'll still use them. You had uh, Randy Johnston, who struggled tremendously in his rookie season um, with control. And, you know, he was able to get it together the next season, and he became one of the best pitchers ever. Uh, same thing for Roy Holiday, who uh, had a very nice rookie season, uh, although albeit it was uh, short. And then he uh, struggled tremendously in his second year, had to go back down to the minors. It was so bad. Came back up and became a all-time great. So I wouldn't say to completely – discount any prospect because uh, you never know. Look, I use Jacob deGrom as an example all the time. This was a guy who was almost traded for Kelly Shopik. Kelly Shopik. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, this, is, this is a very um, – th- this is a guy who is one of the best pitchers in the game right now. And I, I know I'm being pitcher heavy right now, but, you know, I, I think it goes for all players that there are prospects – who are going to take time to develop, and, you know, um, they either will or they either won't, but some of them do take time. Um, But my question um, going here is uh, you brought up uh, Curtis Granderson as one. Um, There are many veterans on this roster right now, and they might sign a a couple more uh, uh, free agents on minor league deals. Maybe I I heard uh, Carlos Gonzalez was an option, but right now on the team you got – Curtis Grandison, you got Neil Walker, you have uh, Wei Yin Chen, uh, Sergio Romo, uh, Martin Prado, um, Starling Castro. You've got a, a good bulk of veteran guys who have been around the league for a while. What type of uh, impact will these players have on the um, Marlins roster in uh, 2019 season? A uh, big impact. You know, these guys are going to come in here, and that, in my opinion, I think these guys are just here for one reason, and that's to help show leadership to the players, to the younger players on the roster here. Of course, guys like Sergio Romo can help out Drew Steckenrider and all the other young relievers on the team. Then you got Curtis Granderson, who would fit perfectly with Lewis Brinson. Of course, Brinson has a little more power than him, but, you know, both these guys are fast, faster. Granderson would be definitely a great leader for Brinson and, of course, Austin Dean and Max Sierra. Castro is a great leader, and Neil Walker. You know, Neil Walker, of course, a former Yankee as well. And these guys are just older the better, in my opinion, to help. Um, yeah, former Matt. And, of course, the older the better, in my opinion, to help out the younger guys. All right. And uh, just to round it off a little bit, we haven't talked about Jorge Alfaro at all, which, in my opinion, is probably going to be your MVP. I mean, he's obviously coming off a year that he he did not have the greatest numbers, but his peripherals, I mean, put him up there with some of the top players in the league. So what do you think 
Alfaro will do for the team next year, going including going into the next uh, couple of years after, especially because you'll be in the World Series in two years. Well, it's going to be hard, of course, to replace JT Romito, <laughs> and that's exactly what Jorge Alfaro is coming in here to do. Alfaro hits for power. You saw it. He tries a little hard in the swing. You see it as well. But he's got cannon behind home plate. And I'm watching him and against the Phillies. And this guy's throwing our runners out left and right. I think Alfaro is definitely a great impact for the younger pitchers as well. Of course, no one's going to be able to replace JT Romo. So that guy, he was just a great player for us. And getting Alfaro back and Cito Sanchez are very promising pieces, in my opinion, for the future. And I think they could help us win ball play, ball games definitely in the future for us. And I think it was a great move getting Alfaro in that trade. They give our other prospects on the team, Will Banfield, time to get time to develop in the farm system. Will Banfield, our number eleven prospect, uh, is a catcher that was drafted last year. And I just think this guy is really good. So Alfaro definitely is a great filling for now. He's still young, so I think. You know, this is a great signing and a great uh, trade piece that we got back from the Phillies, in my opinion. All right. Um, thank you guys for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, we got to wrap this up now. Uh, um, and good luck with your podcast next week and going forward, and good luck to the Marlins next year. Uh, you're going to need it. Uh, and now oh. we will go to a commercial break. Uh, thank you. And we'll be right back. This week on the iView, we talk about what the MLB will be doing in spring training games as there will be 20-second pitch clocks for each pitcher. We will also be talking about possible enemies in the division and who will put up good division games along with rivalries and how our first two spring training games went along with full reports and any news from spring training games and practices so far. Make sure you tune in this Sunday. Thanks, guys. And we are back. We will continue our rundown of the NL East. Um, lots to talk about here. Uh, we will be talking about, uh, is it the Braves or the Nationals, Jake? We're going to be doing the Braves now, and I will be playing our Braves uh, analyst right now, and John will John will be John for the next 15 minutes. So oh, John, get to be me? You get to be me. You get, I mean, no, you don't get to be me. You get to be you. <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be, I don't know, some, I'll be Brian Snicker, sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's get this started. Uh, so what, am I just asking you questions as if you know stuff about the brain? As if I know stuff, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do this. All right, the uh, Braves have a young core of players that they've been building on. Uh, they they uh, did that throughout uh, um, throughout uh, you know the uh, last couple seasons, but last year they finally uh, really hit um, uh, just heated up. Um, Acuna, uh, Albies, just a great core of young players. Um, uh, a couple other guys and some solid veterans too. Um, what is that young core? Um, what impact will that young core have on the Braves moving forward? 
I mean, obviously, this is what won them their 90 games, in my personal opinion, is is this young core. I mean, between Acuna coming up and Albies having a pretty good season, I think these are the guys that together even – I mean, he's he's lost his spot this season, but Johan Camargo had a great season. Um, these young guys are really what has built this team up to now, and I think they're just going to continue coming. I mean – coming from one of the best farm systems in baseball, they're just going to keep rallying out, including guys like Mike Soroka or guys like Austin Riley. Austin Riley has been working with uh, Barry Bonds, I'm pretty sure, this offseason. So, I mean, there's there, there's been – there's a lot coming out of these young guys that, uh, personally, as a Mets fan who – wait, I, I forgot, I'm playing a Braves analyst. As a Braves fan, I am very excited for these guys to be coming up. You don't have to do that. You just, just you know. <laughs> um, I, you could be a Mets fan, and you could still be a Braves analyst. You could do sure. that. I mean, I'm sure. Uh, we'll I'm that. sure that they're that. I'm a Mets, Braves. Uh, I'm a fan of Braves analyst. You don't have to go all Hawker uh, Harrison on us here. <laughs> anyway, um, so moving on, uh, let's go to, of course, the 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 Braves have the. Uh, for me, the dreaded star first baseman, Freddie Freeman, who has been one of the most consistent hitters, fielders, all-around players in the game of baseball over the past, um, even more so than half decade at this point. Um, what is a realistic uh, uh, season for uh, uh, Freddie Freeman in 2019? I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know numbers, but a realistic season is him him leading this team into a really great season. I mean, in my in my opinion, I feel like Freddie Freeman is one of the most underrated players in baseball. Whenever you come up with stars and elite players, you never hear his name. And he really is one of the most elite players. He's always consistently there. He's always getting on base. He He – hits for consistent power. I mean, he's not a power, not a power outage, but guy, he hits for a good amount of home runs. And he's, the good thing about him is he's sort of lost that young guy feel and he's sort of falling into in between his prime and his uh, being a veteran, which I think with a guy like this is his being a veteran is still going to be his prime. Um, He's sort of the leader for this team and the captain. I mean, Captain, the captain talk really doesn't happen anymore. But I mean, I feel like of all people in the league to be a captain of their own team, definitely Freddie Freeman is the captain of the Braves. Mm. Um, okay. So one of the weaknesses for the Braves the next year, um, a lot of people projected to be at least, uh, is their rotation. Um, they don't really have an ace. Um, Fulty uh, Newich or whatever the hell his name is, uh, he's a uh, pretty uh, decent pitcher. Um, Newcomb has uh, proven to be a very decent pitcher as well. Um, and then after that, you have uh, Gorsman, who uh, was shaky last season. You had Terran, who was, you know, he started off strong in his career, um, but he's become a little bit inconsistent. And then you have the young um, Tuki uh, Tosant, Tosaint, who hasn't had a lot of uh, uh, opportunities to pitch in his career, but you know he's he's a, a decent arm who is a you know a rookie and he'll he'll get a shot. Um, 
is it fair to say that they're really banking on their uh, uh, top prospects, uh, uh, top pitching prospects to um, carry this rotation next season or at least make a big impact on the rotation next year? Because they haven't really done much this done anything this offseason to uh, upgrade it. Yeah, and I think that's on purpose. I mean, I feel like the Braves are banking on Tuki Toussaint being their number one by the end of the year and then having guys like Ian Anderson in, in the thing with this off season, this to preface what I'm about to say, the thing with this free agency class is that not very starting pitcher heavy and all the starting pitchers that are there are either mediocre or want a very long contract. And a team that has one of the best farm systems and along with one of the best farm systems, probably the best pitching farm. I mean, uh, I would, I would be able to, with the lineup that I have, and I mean the mediocre pitching that I have, I mean, Fulty as my ace is a number two or three guy as my ace, which is a little bit nerve-wracking, but I mean a number two or three guy is still going to get the job done. So specifically, yes, I, I would have to answer your question with yes. I think they're going to fall into the arms of a lot of the prospects. So, I mean, out of their top, four prospects, all of them are pitchers, and one of them happens to be Tuki Toussaint. And then, uh, obviously, number three is Ian Anderson, which is the the first-round pick from 2016. You have Kyle Wright, who's definitely going to be um, around next year, uh, whether or not he's in the rotation or if he's in the bullpen, if he can't really play to his expectation. And, of course, as I uh, mentioned earlier, Mike Soroka, who will also probably be having a shot. So I think when when you look at it on paper, it seems like their guys are just going to be some mediocre two or three guys, but I think they're going to be falling into the arms of these really elite pitchers uh, from their farm system. All right. Uh, just wanted to uh, uh, cut this off with some breaking news. Uh, Jed Lowry's MRI exam revealed no significant damage to his left knee. Mets plan to take it slow with him. Uh, during the spring training, so uh, I don't even know if he'll be ready for opening day or not uh, from that tweet, uh, but uh, we'll continue with the Braves here. Um, just to so, add, before we get onto the Braves, I just wanted to say I also saw that breaking news, but I didn't want to break it up. Uh, Mickey Calloway was quoted saying that uh, Lowry will only need 40 at-bats going into the year, so they have plenty of time to blow him down. They're obviously not going to rush him into games so that he doesn't re-injure himself. So um, it seems like we probably won't see Jed Lowry for the first half of spring training, uh, and he'll just be continuing baseball activities at a slower rate. So this should be overall, I think you as well, John, will agree that this should be a little bit a calming uh, piece of news. Yeah. Um yeah, so let's and, get back to yep, the Yeah, there is plenty of time for that. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see as we go. And uh, hopefully uh, Met fans, especially the Twitter Met fans who go bonkers over stuff, uh, can uh, take chill pill. Anyway, um, so back to the Braves. Uh, Josh Donaldson, a former MVP, a very, very great baseball player who had a down season last year due to injuries and and uh, a few other things. Uh, he uh, went from the Blue Jays and he was traded to the Indians. Um, the, 
Braves gave him a one-year contract, uh, figuring, you know, try to give him uh, the opportunity to bounce back with them, give him the third base job and uh, numbers that he has in the past in his MVP caliber seasons. Um, what um, – my question with Josh Donaldson is, is it fair to – Say that he will never put up the numbers that he did as a uh, MVP, even with the Braves. Or do you think he's capable of that still, despite um, this season, this uh, uh, you know struggling this year, uh, last season? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely possible. I think the thing about this Josh Donaldson that we've never seen before. I mean, last year you could make the case, but I don't think he really was in this mindset. But going into a healthy year where he's going to be playing on opening day, um, we're seeing a Josh Donaldson that has to prove to the world that he's still Josh Donaldson. And, I mean, whether or not uh, – baseball fans have very short memories and like to forget good seasons. Um, but Josh Donaldson, in my opinion, is one of the best players in the game today. And I hope that – I mean, not even as a Mets fan or a Braves fan, I genuinely hope that he has a good season because he really is a big part of the game. And I think that having a, having him be in the mindset that he is, uh, I'm a little bit scared of him. Um, and he's probably one of the most scary players on that team other than Acuna or Freeman. Mm. Yeah. So... Let's move on. Uh, I think the one of the biggest strengths for the uh, Braves going into next year is uh, their outfield. Um, Ronald Acuna, as you mentioned, uh, had a very, very good season last year. Ender and Ciarte uh, has been a, a very good uh, piece for the Braves the last couple of seasons. You have Nick Markakis, who we were both clamoring the Mets to uh, sign. Uh, of course, that didn't happen, but uh, now he's a Brave again. And... Uh, you know, he's a very, uh, still a very decent veteran presence, a very good bat, a very good arm. Um, what do you expect out of that outfield this season? Do you think uh, it'll be more of the uh, same in uh, terms of uh, production, uh, good production, or uh, do you expect them to uh, uh, take a, a bit of a hit this coming season? And also there's uh, Adam Duvall, who's uh, uh, also a piece they have in the outfield. Yeah, just to just to finish this up before we go to the break, um, I think this outfield is going to be sort of the same. If anything, Cunha has more time to do more damage, so maybe his numbers will be better. But I don't see Enciarte or Marquez really elevating or really even like having a having a worse season compared to last season. I think you're going to see the same thing. I think the biggest difference that we're going to see out of the Braves, even though I mean, they're, they're, we could cover this for even another 15 minutes, but they should have made a lot, uh, many more moves that they didn't, um, especially in the rotation. I think probably the biggest change that we're going to see is that third base with Josh Donaldson is a lot more power. And, in his, I mean, if he comes back to his prime, he's much better than Johan Camargo. So I think that's going to be the biggest difference. I think that outfield's probably going to stick around the same. And, yeah, that's that's about it. So, We're going to go into the break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Nationals. 
back after this. Make sure to tune into the Marlins Catch this Monday night at 7.30 Eastern. We will be discussing and breaking down the progression of the hitters and pitchers throughout the first week of spring training. With the first spring training game of this season, Saturday against the Cardinals, we will be seeing how Sandy Alcantara pitches and how all the other hitters and pitchers look in the first game back. We will also be discussing Cito Sanchez, the most exciting Marlins arm since Jose Fernandez, and the signing of reliever Sergio Romo. With 2019 season around the corner, we will be discussing the potential of players like Monte Harrison, Lewis Brinson, and Julio Fernandez. You don't want to miss it this Monday at 7.30 Eastern on the Marlins Catch Podcast. All right, back. Welcome back. Um, uh, this is Jake with our Nationals analyst, John. Uh, and am we're I the gonna, Nationals uh, analyst? Yeah, you're going to be the Nationals analyst because I sort of had oh, to take okay. on that role. So uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll lob you questions. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, thanks. Obviously, a big part of this offseason for the Nationals was losing Bryce Harper. Uh, they obviously put a bid in, and he showed that he did not want to come back, even the, even though the money was right. Um, so my question is, with having an outfield of two really young guys that is definitely a part of the features of this team and Adam Eaton, um, do you think it really will affect their offensive production when you have two guys that could be two different Bryce Harbors? Absolutely, because um, uh, Soto, Soto, you know, Soto was on the season last uh, on the team last year, um, along with Harper. Um, Soto is a very charismatic player. He's a very good offensive player as well. Um, can he be a Bryce Harper caliber player? Yes, it was a feat right away. Um, Robles. I think he's a very he's going to be a very good outfielder. Um I don't think he's comparable to Harper at least not now. Um so I think they will feel uh not having Harper in that uh uh on that uh, roster next year. They'll definitely feel it. Um when you have a replacement though like Soto or Robles it hurts much less because you have two young guys you can you have years of control over you can look forward to um and uh you're going to get very good production from them so you might not feel that uh uh lack of harborness as much as uh, uh you would uh, presume before mhm and then going going a little bit into the infield uh Obviously, the past two seasons, Ryan Zimmerman has been a very weird player. Uh, he's come back into his prime and went back into his cave. So what do you think the role for Ryan Zimmerman this year will be, uh, especially when you have – I mean, no one has any idea really what they're going to get out of him. Well, they're, um, they've uh, they re-signed uh, or brought back uh, Matt Adams, who will – be sort of a reinforcement piece at first base and maybe even uh, in the corner outfield spots. But, um, you know, they're really banking on Ryan Zimmerman to be the their starting first baseman this year. And uh, they're just hoping that uh, he can have the type of season he had uh, two seasons ago, I believe it was. 
uh, where he uh, went back to his full form. Of course, last year he was uh, plagued by injury, so they're hoping he can be healthy next year, and they're hoping he can put up dangerous numbers as he has throughout his career. He is getting older. He's past his prime, it seems. Um, but I, I think you'd be uh, stupid to say that uh, he can't uh, uh, put together a, uh, a very good season uh, still at this age. Not that I'm calling you stupid, uh, Jake, but uh, (laughs) I'm just using that termage. So, you know, I mean, Ryan Zimmerman, no matter what he does, he'll always have that uh, uh, play that role of uh, a leader, kind of what David Wright has been for the Mets the past few seasons. Um, And I'm not saying Ryan Zimmerman's going to get spinal stenosis or something like that, but uh, I'm saying that, um, no matter how he performs, he will be a leader in that clubhouse. Okay. And then that, so let's talk about this middle infield. Obviously, the acquisition of Brian Dozier is a big part of um, their centering their offseason, along with the uh, acquisition of Patrick Corbin, which we'll get to in a little bit. But um, mm. Dozier has obviously struggled coming into the National League. I mean, he was a 40 home run guy a few years ago. And I mean, now mm. he can't even get on base for, for what it's worth. So what do you think this is a good move for the nationals spending the money on a guy that was a American league, uh, born player. Who uh, yeah. Yeah. Coming to the national league or what, what do you think about this? Yes. Because first off they got him on a very, uh, friendly deal. I think he got what eight million or nine million for one season. So you know, it's a one-year deal. You're not really uh, investing a whole lot into him. Um, this is a guy who you said uh, hit 40 uh, home runs a couple seasons ago, um, and he's been a fairly dynamic player in the past. I think it's a good uh, uh, risk to take, and I really do think uh, Brian Dozier will bounce back this year. Um, and uh, not that he's going to hit 40 home runs, but I think he'll be a very decent piece for the Nationals going uh, uh, going into the 2019 season and throughout it. Yeah, and then we'll continue. So the left side of this infield overall with Rendon and Turner, I mean, are probably two of the better players on the team, along with Soto, who also happens to be on the left side. So what do you think? Do you think if these guys don't hit their ceiling like they usually do or if they get injured, do you think that is going to be the damper that puts out uh, the fire that is the Nationals right now? Well, of course, injuries are huge uh, um, to teams and when injuries occur, especially to players such as uh, um, Anthony Rendon or uh, Turner or Soto, that's going to have a huge impact on the uh, Nationals. But, uh, First off, Anthony Rendon the last couple seasons has really come into his own as a all-star caliber player. This is a guy who, first off, he's very underrated. Second off, he's always been underrated to the Nationals, despite always being a very dangerous hitter. And now he's really showing what type of player he really is this last couple seasons. And, um, you know, one thing with him, uh, I'd say expect the uh, Nationals to try and get him back uh, on a contract extension, I think, um, or even in free agency because he's that big of part of uh, 
this team. So in the future, uh, expect them to make a push to get him back, especially with, not, with them not signing Harper. Now that opens the door for them to bring back Rendon long-term. They should have done that already. Um, Turner, very good player, very fast. Um, you know, he, he's starting to hit like a all-star. Um, you know, um, he's a very uh, good player, um, and he's starting to get that pop as well, which um, he didn't have in his uh, first couple seasons as much, but now he's got it more. Um, uh, let's uh, go to a let's go to a call real quick. Um, we've got Tim from New Jersey wanting to talk about injuries. Um, Tim, hello guys. Hey, what's going on, Tim? Um, I'm asking about what do you guys think about the Nimmo and Lowry injuries that have happened that have been reported. Um, so we talked about this before with the uh, Jed Lowry uh, situation. Uh, there was an update, so I'm not too concerned because this update says there's no structural damage in his left knee. Um, it must have just been sore or it must have been hurting. Uh, kind of like how my left knee's hurting me right now for some reason. Um, so, um, you know, I fully expect Jed Lowry to be fine. Brandon Nimmo's injury, I didn't hear about that one. Did you hear about that, Jake? Yeah, it's, it's less of an injury and more of a, a reason for media to post about the Mets. He had a sore, sore shoulder coming out of um, one of the practices. Uh, a day or two ago and I mean it really he's confident that it means nothing I trust what he has to say a sore shoulder really doesn't mean too much to me until it becomes something that's an actual injury I mean every athlete becomes sore so I I wouldn't worry about it at all I just think it's another reason for uh, media to want to post about the Mets. I can assure you that there are players on other teams who also have short shoulder, shoulders that really aren't covered. Probably just overlifting, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it really is nothing that is going to affect Nemo long-term. So I wouldn't worry about it. Um, and I wouldn't worry about Jed Lowry either, who obviously is fine after his MRI. Mm, and yeah, Tim, I hope thank you, you for the call. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Take care. All right. So uh, back to the Nationals. Uh, I'd rather um, talk we are talking about who? Who the hell are we talking about now? We're doing uh, Turner. Uh, yeah. His power. Yes. Very nice. Um, who else is on the Nationals? Give me some more uh, hard. Uh, uh, some more meatballs. This rotation is um, definitely comparable to the Mets for one of the best rotations in the National League, uh, National League East with, I mean, their top three being Max Scherzer, Stephen Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. And, I mean, behind Patrick Corbin, who has established his curveball, I mean, I honestly, I'm not excited um, about him signing there. The good part, though, is that their four and five are triple-A guys. I mean, Joe Ross yeah. has never really done anything. Ali Sanchez is towards the end of a short career so i mean what do you yeah. feel what do you what are you um, i think that's a bit unfair to uh Anibal sanchez he's coming off a very good season um with the um 
with the uh, Braves. Uh, he was actually one of their better starters, um, and he was a, a big. Uh, I think was he part of the playoffs? I don't think so, but uh, you know he was he was a, uh, a decent starting pitcher on that uh, team. Um, he has struggled in the last couple of seasons, but. A lot of uh, analytical uh, minds have uh, said that, uh, the reasons that he was so good last year were um, the spin rates or whatever the hell you call that, uh, whatever, the spin cycles, uh, I, I don't know, um, <laughs> on his uh, breaking pitches and stuff. I mean, uh, so, you know, I mean, I know you like that, those types of stats. I mean, I do too, but I don't know. I'm kind of a mix of uh, – traditional and uh, um, uh, saber metric, saber tooth tiger type of uh, statistics. Uh, so, you know, uh, I do both. Um, you know, I, I can I can pay attention to both. But Animal Sanchez, I think, will be a very decent part of this rotation. He's older, but you know how these guys, uh, if they can, uh, you know, adjust to their uh, old age, and they're uh, lacking in velocity as they get older, and they put emphasis on control and spin rates, um, then they are probably going to continue to pitch at a very uh, uh, high level. Um, Now, Joe Ross is terrible. He's awful. (laughs) He's uh, terrible, so don't worry about him. Um, he's in the same trash bin as uh, Jason Vargas, for all I know. But, you know, rotation's pretty nice. Just wanted to bring up before we wrap it up, I know we're getting the uh, the call here to wrap up, but uh, this uh, Nationals bullpen is god-awful. It's really yeah, bad. There's, there's really nothing to, to oogle at. I mean, I think Sean Doodle's Doolittle, not Sean Doodle, Sean Doolittle, is a good closer. Um, yes, he is. Much better than A. And the rest of these guys seem like either guys that they tried to um, implement, like Cody like... Glover, Solis, and then the rest of them seem like just guys that they picked up. I mean, Kyle Barraclaw's okay. Trevor Rosenthal. They seem is... like they seem like um, reclamation projects. I mean, you see Trevor Rosenthal, who is a reclamation project. Um, Kyle Barraclough is coming off a, a, a season, um, so we don't know how he's going to adjust from that. And then after that, you got Matt Grace, Miller. Um, Miller had a decent season last year, uh, nothing to scoff at. But, uh, you know, uh, who are these people? Um, Coda Glover is uh, – he gets injured a lot, I know. And he hasn't been the pitcher that they thought he'd be to this point. He's young, though, but uh, so he's going to get a shot. But it just seems like a lot of no-name guys that they're trying to take shots with that um, a lot of them might not pan out the way they want them to or the way they are um, uh, wishing they would pan out. Yeah, for sure. But uh, oh, yeah, sorry, go for it. I'll let you finish. No, I was just—I was gonna do exactly what you were about to do. Uh, this is uh, this is it for the Nationals. Right. Thank God, we have to talk about them anymore. Uh, we're gonna go yeah. to the commercial break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about some of our playoff predictions and our NLEs record predictions. This week, on the newest episode of FanCast, 
a Phillies podcast. We will be discussing the different signings and potential rumors surrounding Bryce Harper and the Phillies. Yes, Manny Machado will not be donning the red pinstripes as he has signed a 10-year, $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. We will discuss where the Phillies go from here and if John Middleton, Matt Klentak, and the rest of the front office will be amped up in order to secure Bryce Harper. After Bryce Harper and other mega free agent talks, will the Phillies pursue Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell, the two other main free agents left on the board? All this and more on the newest episode of FanCast. Make sure to tune in as Bryce Harper will be signing soon. All right, and we're back. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, um, our uh, NL East records and then our playoff pictures. Uh, um, so I'll start first with my uh, uh, predicted records for the Nationals, Mets, Braves, Phillies, and Marlins. By the way, if you uh, guys want to call in and uh, talk about this with us, uh, uh, our number is 845 277 9345. That is 845-277-9345. All right. So my predictions for the NL East um, in terms of records, uh, that's what we're doing right now, right, uh, Jake? Yeah, we're going to – let's do the records, and we'll talk about our playoff predictions after. All right, great. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Um, so for me, I've got the Nationals uh, taking the division – 92 wins, 70 losses. I've got the Mets second at uh, 88 wins and uh, 74 losses. And I have the Braves, mm-hmm. 85 wins, 77 losses. I've got the Phillies, 84 and 78. And then I've got the Marlins. Uh, Barry, you'll love to hear this one. Uh, 60 and uh, 102. Uh, so that, <laughs> that's what I got here. Um, I was going to make it lower, but uh, I think Barry would yell at me if that was the case. So uh, I wouldn't do that. Um, so uh, let's hear what you got over there, uh, um, Jake. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course, I love I love my fan graphs. So I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna trust my gut and go with um, what depth charts has has predicted based on run differential and runs scored per game. And uh, I mean, generally, it's run run differential is what they base it off of, which obviously isn't foolproof. Foolproof because teams with very low run differentials still win divisions. So either way, the the fan graphs. Uh, predictions go in this order. So you have the Nationals winning with 90, 90 wins. You have the Mets coming in second with 85 wins. The Braves coming in third with 82 wins. The uh, Phillies becoming a 500 team, and the Marlins being 66 wins. Um, oh, obviously, obviously this is a little bit of a strange uh, way to look at it. Uh, just because of obviously the Nationals were a 500 team last year, and now they're going to be um, in first place after losing their star player. I mean, I don't, I don't know. 
I just think the run differential, I, uh, they're usually correct on that uh, when they um, when they predict from past years. So I'm going to stick with what this is, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. All right. Um, you know, this is kind of a joke. I mean, um, in terms of uh, what I predicted for the playoffs, because, you know, I can't make these predictions now. Um, you know, I still did, and uh, this is what I went with. I think that the teams that are going to win the divisions, this I took more seriously than the playoff predictions because, you know, you can really uh, – you can pr- actually predict this a little bit more. It's a little bit easier to do that. Um, I predicted Red Sox would win AL East. Uh, Indians will uh, win AL Central. Uh, Astros will win AL uh, West. By the way um, – Jake, did you hear that video with the um, the kid, uh, the the Yankee uh, fan, the little Yankee fan screaming when uh, they were telling him uh, that the Padre signed Machado, and he goes, "We don't want Machado." Did you see that? Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a lot of the guys on the fan right now too. Oh my God, his the voice. I I want to take that kid and just throw him or something because his voice was killing my ears um it was terrible but you, you know his take too was awful he would have hated Babe Ruth <laughs> honestly he would have hated Babe Ruth he would have don't nobody tell him about Johnny Damon oh gee so freak out yeah Poor kid, um, and have a heart. yeah I mean we're talking about the Orioles here it's not even the Red Sox I don't want Bogart to bet <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was funny. Um, yeah. But now let's continue here. Uh, so Red Sox, AL East, uh, uh, Indians, AL Central, Astros, AL West, Nationals, AL East, uh, Brewers, AL Central, Dodgers, AL West, wild card teams are Yankees, Rays, and Cubs and Mets. Um I think that the Yankees will win the wild card because the Rays will probably use an opener just like the stupid Athletics did. Um, and I think that the Mets will win the wild card because uh, um, nobody's beating Jacob DeGrom in that type of a high leverage game, uh, especially in the Cubs rotation, which is, you know, lackluster. Um, then I've got – so. I didn't even map this out, but I'll just go with it. Uh, we'll have Red Sox, Yankees, Indians, Astros, um, and I'll say the Red Sox win and the uh, Astros win. Kind of basically the same type of uh, situation from last year. And I say the Red Sox win again um, and go to the World Series. For the uh, Now you're going to love this one. Um, it'll be the... Uh, Nationals versus uh, – no, not Nationals. Uh, Dodgers versus Mets. Nationals versus Brewers. Brewers win. Mets win. Mets versus Brewers. Mets win. Mets win the World Series. Oh, easy. Easy. I mean, <laughs> if we're being fair, if we're being fair, I also have the Mets winning the World Series. <laughs> so, I don't know how – We got it. We got I don't know how – stuff, you know. I don't know how biased we are, but I I don't I just feel like this is, this could be realistic I want now that I'm the Mets to win a World Series. 
take this anymore, Jake. I'm going to lose my mind. I need the Mets <laughs> to win a World Series. I know. I mean, it, on on paper, it works. So at least um, in my fantasies, give it to me. <laughs> you know. Okay. Here's here's how it's going to go down. Let me tell you how it's going to go down. So the mm, National League, National League goes this way, right? Dodgers yeah. win the West. All right. Cubs win the Central. So they play each other because they're the highest and lowest um, winning teams. Then the Nationals are the middle team, and they will be playing the winner of the Cardinals and Mets. Now, Mets beat the Cardinals. Wait a minute. I thought the the team with the highest wins the wild card team. Oh, is that how that works? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Wait, let me. That's what I thought. Wait, it's the highest and lowest, and then the middle plays the wild card. Is that what it is? That might uh, oof oof. We might look really bad right now, but I'm I'm like ninety nine percent sure. Uh, or you will look really bad, and I look really good if I know this correctly. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> let's see. Okay, let's just pretend that's how it works. Um. Either way, Nationals play the winner of the Cardinals and Mets. Mets win. Mets beat the Nationals. Dodgers beat the Cubs. Dodgers play the Mets. Mets win. Mets go to the World Series. Now let's go to the the AL, which is definitely not where my expertise is, but I'll go with the Red Sox playing the Indians. Um, Red, they both win their respective divisions. Then the Astros played the winner of the Yankees and the Rays. Rays win. Astros beat the Rays. Uh, oh, wow. You took the Rays, too? Yeah. Yeah, I like the Rays uh, a lot this year. I mean, again, me I don't – I don't. I'm not very – It must be very, a – Charlie Morton's uh, spin rate. It is. That's and um, Willie Adonis. It, honestly, uh, I mean two two goats. Um, and then Indians beat the Astros. All right. I know that's a little bit crazy because they're sort of missing an outfielder, but I think the Indians have two MVPs on their team. They have maybe. Two Cy Youngs, and I think just signing, getting it out of the way, getting a Marwin Gonzalez, getting a, a a mediocre outfielder, patches up their hole almost completely. So I, I think that they're one of the best teams um, that is over uh, underrated because of the division they play in. Then the Mets beat the Indians after the Indians blow a three-one lead. Wow. What do you think, John? I don't know. I kind of zoned out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. this is crazy. Anyway, um, I guess that concludes our uh, predictions. Uh, Fantastico ones, if you ask all Mets fans. Um, except for that uh, one guy that keeps uh, uh, yelling at me on my uh, fan page that uh, the Mets are going to be the fourth-place team. Um, yeah, I... I really don't. I mean, yes, in a competitive year, it's possible, but I don't. I don't see it, and I don't think it's because I'm biased. I think it's he because also the said, Mets he also said that put most together nothing. Roster is a Triple A team. Yeah, that's just not true. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, ba- Barry holds those guys in water. Uh, uh, he's got them fifth next year. Uh, than, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, quickly before we finish, because by the time we do our next podcast. Uh, Spring training will have started. 
So just to preface it a little bit, uh, our schedule going into podcast goes, we play Atlanta in uh, our in first data. We play Houston in first data. We go to Houston. We go to Atlanta. Uh, then we have a split squad day. Oh, that Atlanta day, we have a split squad day where Detroit comes to us and we go to Atlanta. Oh, God. And we play Miami um, in first data, and then we play St. Louis in first data. Those, or no, those, we play St. Louis away, and then by that point we'll be we'll be back on the podcast. Those uh, split squads are the worst. That means I got to get uh, two template posts and uh, I mean two pregame and two postgame posts for those. Oh, uh, that's always fun, uh, especially well, in uh, listening can meeting look forward with uh, spring to training mess updates. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, uh, Jake, always a pleasure. Um, thank you for the uh, fans who are so hardcore uh, coming on tonight for an hour and 30 minute uh, episode uh, where we broke down the NL East. Good night, everyone. Amazing Mets is produced by Benson Vector. Amazing Mets is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our hosts a follow on Instagram. John at Mets Updates and Jake at the first 162. For more Amazing Mets content, be sure to head over to our website at baseballpodcastnet.com. And be sure to follow the Baseball Podcast Network on all their social media platforms. Instagram at Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter at Baseball Podcast One. That's P O D C A S One. YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to Amazing Mets. We'll see you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.